0: Welcome to episode number 41 of Occam's Razor. I'm Jim Birchall. Been away for a little bit of time. Sorry about that. There's been Christmas and all sorts of COVID associated goings on, but uh, we're back in business and a very special show. Uh, for you tonight. Our friend Richard Freeman um, has joined us on the show again. Now, Richard is the Zoological Director for the Centre of Fortean Zoology. Uh, He's also written or co-written a number of books um, and has contributed widely to uh, Fortean and zoological magazines, as well as other newspapers and periodicals, uh, including Paranormal Magazine. How are you, Richard? I'm fine.
1: Yourself?
0: yeah can't complain mate we've had uh, a, a massive uh, rainstorm in the past 24 hours here in uh, or close to Auckland New Zealand so everything's a little bit damp but uh, nothing compared with what you're struggling with over there i understand
1: oh good lord uh, New Zealand is one of the best reactions to this the pandemic in the world yeah I wish we had a a decent leader like you too. We've got an absolute buffoon in charge. We've got one of the highest rates of death and infection in the, in the whole world.
0: We, uh, we, we've we had an outbreak in the past couple of days. You may have may not have read about that um, community transmission. But this morning, the good news is it's uh, looking like it's been reasonably well contained. So... Uh, fingers crossed, we'll push on anyway, and, and hopefully things won't won't spiral tonight. Richard, um, now last time you were on, we spoke about the Aring Pendeck. Um, it was actually one of our highest-rated episodes, which uh, which was excellent. Um, basically, talking about the sort of the Flores Man and and that sort of thing, and your expeditions to um, to track he, she, You're down. Tonight we're going a bit more to the mythology side of things. You're a what would you describe yourself as a dragon uh, aficionado, an expert? What what would you say?
1: Well, certainly an aficionado. I've been looking into dragon legends now for oh goodness me, thirty odd years.
0: Yep. Very, very. Aside from um, obviously the influence in Asia, uh, dragons are very specific to uh, the UK, particularly England. Obviously, we all know about. Um, Saint George and the Dragon and these sort of stories—is um, that why you got you interested? Or
1: well, Saint George wasn't English; he was Libyan. He never set foot in England.
0: Is that right? Listen
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the whole story about Saint George—he yep. was—he was an actual historical figure. Yeah. Very little is known about his early life, but he was, a, he was born, I think. I think it was in the third century in Libya above a fuller's shop, and. Nothing much is known about his early life, but he, in later life, as an adult, he got um, a, a job providing pork to the uh, Roman legions that were okay. in, in the country at the time, and, and they found out he was stealing this pork, so he sort of got hounded out of hounded out of his um, of his uh, hometown, and he ended up joining this weird sect of early Christianity that didn't believe in the divinity of Christ okay and, uh, and, they would have
0: been out on their own then wouldn't they at the time
1: yeah yeah and uh, yeah he, he became a, a, a bishop in this and his, his fortunes waxed and waned um, with you know whoever the emperor was at the time and whether they were a, a Christian or not but he used to uh, go and vandalise pagan um, mm. pagan temples which didn't make him any friends and he got lynched one time and he had to be taken into prison to protect him, you know, for his own protection uh, so he wouldn't get killed. And and then later when um, uh, the the, the emperor was a Christian, uh, his fortunes um, waxed a little more, uh, but he he levied heavy taxes on on temples all over the place. And in the end, he was lynched and his body was uh, killed and his body was thrown into the sea. Now, it wasn't until donkey's years later that he was uh, made into a saint. Uh, much, much later, he was made into a martyr and then a saint. When this sect was reabsorbed back into Christianity, they made him into a, a, a martyr and then a saint. And then the whole thing about the dragon, did not it wasn't tacked onto his story until centuries after he was dead. And Basically, it's the same story as Perseus and Andromeda. The old Greek yeah. legend of, of, of where Andromeda is really sacrificed to a sea dragon, and, and and Perseus fights and slays it. Sure. Uh, and it was just tacked on basically to jazz his story up a bit because he was. So it was happy. just
0: it was a reworking.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he he, he became the patron saint of England, um, I believe, around about the time of the Crusades, because he was okay. supposed to have um, appeared. To the to the uh, the Crusaders as a ghost as a phantom knight to urge them a bit like the story of the uh, the angel of, angel of Mons yeah, yeah very sure. similar story to that because uh, I think it was Edward the Confessor was our was was the patron state of England before he was superseded by Saint George so Saint George never met a dragon and he would have probably cracked himself. <laughs> If he has. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> where, um, where, uh, why do you think there's such a prevalence of dragon stories in, in Britain in particular?
1: Well, there's over a hundred in Britain alone. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's it's uh, several influences because in Britain you had the Picts and then you had um, the ancient Britain as the Celts. Then you got yeah. the, the Romans coming in and then the Vikings. And they all brought their stories with them. They all brought that their, their, their stories and influences with them. Um, so you've got this this sort of tapestry of, of culture in Britain. Yes. Yeah, sure. Some sort of the stories are probably based on real events and real encounters with some sort of creature or, or, or entity.
0: Okay. Um these legends have obviously survived today. Has there been any, um, you know, physical evidence of of anything resembling a dragon that that's been sighted in the UK in in modern times, in modern history? Anything photographic? Yet?
1: Well, there are modern day dragon sightings um, from all over the place, uh, not just in, in in Britain. Most of them are, uh, are are from other places. One of the most interesting happened in. Um, 2007 and it was uh, it was recorded by a woman called Linda S. Godfrey who's written uh, a number of very interesting books on uh, anomalous creatures generally seen in the USA
0: Yep, as they tend to be
1: and it was uh, it was in Wisconsin in 2007 at a place called Oconto Falls and she was contacted by this this guy she called jim and according to his story him and some of his friends um had been out to see a local band and they were sort of hanging out afterwards and there was some other youths from out of town and um you know they were hanging around talking and they saw a fireball across the sky they said it was uh, uh, blue. it was orange and blue this fireball shoot a ball of fire shoot across the sky yeah and then they all said they saw this dragon fly over where they were where they were standing and they, they all saw it coming through the clouds and they said it was white that <laughs> it's like it's been white uh, having uh, enormous having these huge wings like a bat uh larger than a plane they said a long tail long neck with a narrow pointed head four legs that were held up close to the body and um all of them saw it fly fly over this this area and i was thinking like you know if you're going to make up a story about a dragon a is white the color you're going to choose you probably choose green or red
0: I start to think of the um, never-ending story when someone says a white dragon. I realise that it was a big dog, but that's, that's the yeah, image. Yeah, it did look like a originally. dog.
1: Yeah, and um, they said the breath, it wasn't coming out in a jet like you see in, in film and, and, and literature. It was like a ball of fire. Well, the, this guy got and his friend got back to, to his house, and like, they told his family, who totally didn't believe them, and then later, the thing was supposed to have flown over their house. And the mother and the sister of this family saw that this animal as well. And they said it had what appeared to be smaller ones with it flying around. Well, that's not
0: a dragon family.
1: Yeah. And once again, this ball of fire. And the, and the sister, she says, I, This is a literal quote from the sister. She said, I don't care what the scientists say, it was not a pterodactyl. I could see pearly pale scales. And a fireball came from its mouth. They were beautiful and flew gracefully. I could see they had four legs too. They were tucked up underneath them when a bird like fl- when a bird flies. So it's quite a detailed um, sighting, but it's far from the only modern sighting of a dragon-like creature. Um, another famous one uh, is from N- Namibia in, um, in Africa. South Africa, the, yeah, uh, the flying snake of Namibia. Now. Uh, the uh, Namakwa people of Namibia, if they see a, a a light at night in the sky, it's not a UFO to them. It's it's no. the, the glowing light of the flying snake. They believe it has like a, a light in its forehead. Uh, okay.
0: Well, it's, hand, it's handy for night flying.
1: Yeah. Uh, they, 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 they believe it's the size of, a, of a, a very large python, 25 feet or more. Uh, yellow uh, and speckled with brown. It has two horns on its head as well as this light and a a pair of bat-like wings. And uh, the most famous sighting um, was by a 16-year-old guy called Michael uh, Esterheis. And it was in January of 1942. And he was tending sheep. And he'd heard stories from his father uh, about the local people being frightened of this, this flying snake and he thought it was nonsense and uh, but he heard this weird sound which he, he described as like wind blowing through a pipe and then he saw this huge winged snake swooping down through the air at him it landed with a thud but he threw himself out of its way and it, it, he said, so
0: it obviously it obviously didn't have four legs as well
1: well, he didn't describe legs on this. He described a great snake-like no. body and, and, and wings. And sure. then it shot up in the air, air again and, and returned to this other hilltop. And uh, he ran back home to tell his father, who's the owner of the farm. And uh, they went out to try and find this thing. And then they found uh, a cave. And they heard something moving around the cave, and they held sticks of dynamite down there. So whatever it was, whether it was the, the flying snake or not, nobody's really sure. But they dynamited this cave. That um, he actually passed out; he was so scared.
0: Oh, so sorry. Hey, sorry, sorry, Richard. You're inferring that the the beast lived in the cave, and then obviously they d- that was disturbed due to it being dynamited, probably for searching for uh, diamonds. I suspect.
1: No, no, no. This was this was after the sighting. People, oh, this people was after the, song, yeah. my the, the native people who worked on this farm. had been been yep. talking about this thing for ages and the guy who owned the farm and his son, Michael, didn't believe it. And Michael said this thing appeared and swooped down at him and it frightened him so badly, he actually passed out. And then he, when he went, he went back home as, went,
0: as you would, yeah, you saw that. I yeah.
1: told his, told his father and, um, His father got a group of people together, including some police, and went to see the area. And they saw the track in the ground this thing had left, and they dynamited this cave that they thought it was in. But the incident was investigated by no less an authority than Dr. Marjorie Courtney Latimer, who was um, a natural historian who ran a a, uh, local museum, and she was the lady who discovered the coelacanth the fish that was believed to have been extinct.
0: Of course. I actually saw a documentary on that the other day, strangely enough.
1: Yeah. She said she'd observed a a great furrow in the ground where a creature had had moved. And then there was another sighting in 1978 where a French farmer was um, tending his cattle in the Karas region of Namibia. And he saw a bright white light and noticed it was heading straight towards him. And afterwards, he heard a massive thud and heard one of his his cows sort of bellowing in pain, and he rushed out to check and saw that the cow was being attacked. And he quoted the police later, I saw what looked like, the best matching description I can give you, is is that it looked like a dragon. It had a bright white light on its head, which was blinding me. The colour of it was brown and yellow. It had green eyes and there was a tar-like smell, and it had smoke coming out of its nostrils.
0: That's fairly comprehensive. Yeah. In, in
1: 1988, Professor Roy Mackle, um, uh, a scientist from the USA, had better known for his expeditions into the Congo in search of an Achillean Bembe, he went to investigate a remote property owned by German settlers who said that there was one of these creatures there. And um, they describe it as having a massive 30 yeah, foot wingspan. And it would fly between two hills about a mile apart at, at dusk. And it seemed to have layers in the crevices of this hill. And the team discovered the remains of animals like ostriches and stuff in high, inaccessible areas, as if they'd been picked up and carried there. It wasn't enormous. And Mackerel didn't see it himself, but one of his team, a guy called James Koshi, who stayed in Nam- Namibia for a while after Mackle was gone, claimed he saw the creature from a distance of about a thousand feet and described it as this huge. Black creature that was gliding from the from hilltop to hilltop. Um, I mean, more recently there was um, uh, a guy who contacted a colleague of mine, and uh, this colleague of mine is a, is a guy who works at Copenhagen University. His uh, name is um, Lars Thomas, and uh, he does all our him and his colleagues from from Copenhagen University they do all our hair analysis for us and he's a, he's a world expert in mammal hair he was the guy that, okay. that identified the uh, orang pendek hair as being from an unknown primate related to but distinct from the Sumatran orangutan and sure. some of his colleagues do the dna work on samples we get back in 19 uh, in 2010 the icelandic the off- icelandic volcano went off. You remember it? It's. Uh, I do. stopped uh, yep. stopped any travel for a while, and. It uh,
0: had, had lots of uh, J's and K's in the name, difficult yes, to pronounce, as I recall. E.
1: J. Oh, Joe. I'm sure it's pronounced. That'll, but, uh, do. But, yeah. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah, try saying that uh, three times fast after eight points. Absolutely. Well, if this guy, contacted Lars, and he said he was watching the eruption and he said he saw something flying about in the volcano. And he said it must have been huge because of the, the great distance that he was observing it from. And At first he thought it was a plane until he saw its wings flapping. And he says, as I see it, there are two possible explanations. Either I was imagining the whole thing or it was in fact a dragon. And I find it very hard to, be- I find that very hard to believe. But then again, I don't think I could imagine something like that. So why are people making up these stories and that they have such odd little details in them? Um, for instance, yeah. I, I investigated something called the Ninkinanka in West Africa, uh, in the Gambia. And in these West African countries, not just the Gambia, but um, Senegal and all around that region, there's a tradition of this thing called the Ninkinanka. And the folklore to it, it goes that it, sometimes a python will lay a clutch of eggs and there'll be one golden egg in it, and that is the egg of the Ninkinanka, And it will hatch out into this creature that's like a dragon that lives in the river. And they say it's got a, a, a vaguely horse-shaped head, venomous bite, long snaky body covered with these shining green scales, um, a crest on the head or a fin on the head, four short legs with claws and bat-like wings and it's associated with water and it's thought that if you see it you will die within five years and people are terrified of it and uh, a lot of people we met they they say if
0: i to be honest to be honest richard if i saw that i'd probably die within five years
1: they said they said uh, you know a, a hunter from their village once saw one and he he ran back told the village and then collapsed and died um, anything that went wrong, it was it was blamed. There, there was a crash uh, that where some people were killed, and they blamed the minkin because they said it slithered out in front of the road, uh, uh, in front of the, the, the lorry on the, on the road in the, the storm. And uh, we met one man who claimed to have seen it, and he, he said it was this huge snake-like thing that caught out of a hole in the swamp, and. um Terrified him, and then he said he, he he sort of struck down with this ailment afterwards, and he had to go to a mullah, a uh, Islamic holy man, to give him a cure. So it was yeah. sort of like a bogeyman that um, anything bad is blamed on the 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 had uh, One case where a guy said his uncle had seen one um years ago, and the whole village was so scared that they just. Up and left the village and he, he refused to go into the swamp because he was so frightened and then our guide it was supposed to us to the swamp he lost his bottle as well and started crapping himself and they wouldn't even look in the direction this thing was supposed to have come from and this was like decades after it was seen so we had to go into this swamp and find this abandoned village on our own they were so frightened of it and um, what we call...
0: what sort of what sort of precautions did he take with you? Or did he take a firearm or a big machete or anything like
1: that? Good manners,
0: just in case.
1: <laughs> I don't think a gun would stop something like that nah. it existed. No,
0: not, not from what you described.
1: No, we, we just we just we just trekked in with cameras and stuff. Uh, you know, we saw some snakes yeah. and monitor lizards, but nothing nothing fantastical like that i mean and we thought maybe that this was a um, demonization of a pre-islamic python cult because worship of, of animal deities like crocodiles and pythons and leopards and things is quite widespread across africa and there was a python worship cult. so the thing that happens when a, a big religion moves into an area and takes over it will either absorb the local tradition like a lot of Christian saints are actually old pagan figures. And a lot of psychologists right, yeah. are old pagan. Or they'll, or they'll demonize it. So maybe this, this Python deity was demonized into the into the um, there was a pollution event in the uh, in the Gambia a few years ago, and a load of this black slime came down the, the river and killed a load of fish, and they, they thought it was from the carcass of the Ninkinanka. Um, another time there was a flood and the bridge was Destroyed, and they thought the Lincoln ankle could come out of the the hole it's supposed to live in. They're supposed to live in holes in the riverbank. They come out and destroy. It's it's
0: almost it's almost starting to sound like a, a bit of a Mothman sort of um, situation. Not unlike it. it. The... Yeah,
1: not unlike it. I mean, yeah. one of the funniest things was <laughs> we were we were stopping this hotel in the Gambia because usually when I do an expedition, we're living in the jungle or up a mountain or in a desert or somewhere in a tent. But this time we were stopping in a hotel, because Gambia is quite a small, narrow country. So you could get from the hotel to where this thing was reputedly seen. And uh, we'd been on the BBC World Service talking about it, talking about the expedition. So if anybody's got any information, phone us at the hotel. And this guy phoned up really excited. And he said, "Um, I know where this dragon lives. It's in a swamp in a place called Mandanari and um and, and, denari. Denari, and this mangrove swamp and it's in this yeah. hole down this mangrove swamp and i can take you to it and if you throw a dog down there it will come out and eat the dog and i said well i'm not throwing a dog down there i love dogs i'll throw a cat down if you want <laughs> i'm not throwing a dog down <laughs> but
0: um <laughs> well what about a small little sort of uh poodle or something like that be
1: no right? no i love dogs dogs are great catch, no
0: oh we'll go with if cat, s-
1: stick up your ass i can't stand i think uh anyway he said but by by taking you there i'm going to be risking my life how much are you going to give me thousand pounds two thousand pounds three thousand pounds four thousand pounds what and he was obviously making it up and on the want he was trying to screw screw money yeah. out of but we went down to mandanari on our own and um couldn't find any hole it was just a mangrove swamp and we asked one of the locals if he knew about it and um he had this weird voice. He looked and sounded like... Do you remember the actor Peter Lorre? Yeah, the, the yeah. horror actor.
0: Imagine, the a, one,
1: imagine yeah, an yeah. African version of Peter Lorre. He had these big, round, staring eyes and this strange voice. And he said, sort of, Oh, yes, I remember my mother. About it. it is a great animal covered with scales that shine like mirrors. And if you see it, you will die. <laughs> so there's this... this tradition. But then, a few years later, I was in Mongolia, actually, no, sorry, um, uh, a few years before, I'd been in Mongolia, looking for the Death Worm, what, uh, the that? Mongolian Death Worm. Oh,
0: the Death Worm, we covered that last time.
1: Yeah, Hoy yeah. I was in Mongolia in sure. 2005. I'm hoping to get out there, knock yeah. on wood, this uh, this summer for another crack at the old Death one. But they believe in dragons out there as well, and they call them Lu, L-U-U. And they believe that, that once again, they're intimately linked with water. The, uh, the the ancient element of water, and they believe that they will come down in clouds from the tops. They'll be sending clouds and they'll bring rainfall. And uh, Mongolia is a desert, but under the desert, there's a lot of water well, they 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 get most of their their water from wells and we heard one yeah. story about uh, a man who said he'd seen a dragon coming up out of a well slithering up out of a well and then flying away and this was in a time when mongolia was still a socialist um country and some government officials heard about this and then they they interpreted that as being a religious story so they poured oil down the well to pollute the well because people were talking about this thing that they interpreted as religious. And according to the story, two of them, within within a, a week of doing it, two of them had dropped down dead. And the third one had become barren and impotent <laughs> according to this story, which all sounds a bit...
0: Barren and impotent.
1: Yeah. Uh, all sounds a bit... Crazy, but we heard another story. This was from um, a guy who was the headman of uh, one of the sum centers and a sum in um, Mongolia. It's like a county, but their counties are enormous, they're the size of small countries because Mongolia is a huge, huge place. Yeah. Pretty vast, yeah. isn't and, it? Yeah. Uh, he said that a few years ago. Um, I think it was Borgam's Sum. it was in. He said that a doctor was visiting the sun centre, which is like the main town or conurbation within a sun. And he, he claimed to have gone to draw water out of a well and he saw a dragon coiled up in the well, which he said had a, a a head shaped similar to a horse or a camel and this great long serpentine body with shining green scales on it. And it was coiled up in the which is a remarkably similar description to the Ninkinanka. And then when I was in Thailand way, way back in 2000, which funnily enough was the Year of the Dragon, um, I was investigating reports of the Naga there, which is a great serpentine animal uh, that's supposed to swim in the Mekong River and inhabit the caves around, uh, the jungle caves around the Mekong. And once again, it's reported
0: that's that's right i think i saw i think i saw um wow i was watching some show about that was it was it the the guy who does the fishing jeremy wade maybe
1: maybe that's yeah yeah I, that, I made a documentary yeah, about it but it was, one 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 was one one. like you know 21 years ago how
0: did you, is that available uh, on
1: youtube I, uh, I did have a copy myself i've never been able to find it on youtube but it was on uh, an old uh, videotape tells you how long ago it was It was on videotape. <laughs>
0: Could maybe get a conversion.
1: Well, the tape broke um, years that, ago. That, that'd years be a good watch. The tape broke, but we heard these sources massive. Once again, it has these green, shining scales and a fin on the head, and it's great, serpentine kind of body. Um, there was a, a bunch of monks who were trying to renovate an old temple. Had seen one coiled up in the in the um, cellar this this temple. And they'd run away, terrified of it, and then prayed for it to go away. Um, there was a, a head of the river police who'd seen one swimming in the in the Mekong River, and we met an old man uh, called Mister Pimper. He was this old guy, and um, he took us down these caves in the you know the backside of the jungle, in the middle of nowhere. He discovered these caves a few years ago, and uh, as far as I know, I was the first Westerner to go down these caves. And he took myself and this other guy by candlelight into this maze of caves underneath this mountain. And if this old guy had died down there, we'd have never found our way back out. Yeah. It'd be stuff. It yeah. was all yeah. by spooky candlelight, <laughs> and there was all wonderful um stalagmites and stalactites and rock formations that looked like guillotines and coffins and. All sorts of things. And he said he'd been down there a few years ago and he'd come to this underground river and he showed us this river and he said he saw one of these things crawling along in this river and he was terrified. But he said it paid him no mind. He pinned himself back against the wall and it just slithered past in this river going about whatever it was doing. But he believed it brought him good luck. He was terrified at the time but he thought that it, the thing had, had brought him good luck.
0: It's, uh, well, it was certainly good luck to yeah. gobble them up. Yeah,
1: but sometimes I
0: think. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, go I, yeah, sorry. I'm thinking. Um, when I hear more and more stories about these dragon sightings and stuff, um, I'm starting to tie them into people who say you mentioned pterodactyls earlier. Um, from time to time, reports will come out from well, from around the world, really, about uh, people who think they've seen some sort of uh, prehistoric avian, uh, perhaps. Um, the Native Americans obviously talk about Thunderbird and, and these sort of things. Um, do we think we're all, this is all linking back to the same sort of dragon phenomenon?
1: Possibly. There are different kinds of true dragons. You see, there are different types of dragons. In Western legends, the true dragon has four legs and two wings. And one of the things that really pisses me off about modern films is that they're so lazy when they animate a dragon and they did this in harry potter and the hobbit and just about any other film you can think of they only give the dragon two legs and two wings like a bird cow, which technically makes it not a dragon at all but a wyvern and if you look at the, all the pictures that Tolkien ever drew of smell he has four legs and two wings but the filmmakers are just so damn lazy they'll make they'll repeat this mistake.
0: do Because to me, when I hear four legs, it kind of takes on a dinosaur Mm. sort of feel, doesn't it? Um, Do you think maybe they remove those legs to give it sort of more of its own No,
1: I think it's just laziness. It started with a film called (laughs) Dragon Slayer in the early 80s, where they based the look of the dragon on a pterosaur called um, Ramphorinichus. And they they based it on every okay. other filmmaker seemed to well nine times out of ten and seems to have followed this idle template
0: ever since
1: there um there are lots of cases that have had multiple witnesses as well when we we talked about um we, we talked about the uh the one at a conto Fall work with a multiple witness case but in the uh Late 19th, early 20th century, in the sort of years leading up to the, the Second World War, loads and loads of members of the Chinese, sorry, of the um, of the uh, French Navy said that they saw dragon-like creatures uh, in the in the seas around Asia. For example, uh, on August the 18th in 1901, First Officer F. Wolf. Who was in charge of a Chinese customs custom launch at Lung Sing, uh, which is off Taiyu Shan Island in Hong Kong, he said that he spotted a dragon like animal coiled up on the sea's surface and it held its head up out of the water. And once again, it's got a crest on its head, which is something we hear again and again and again. And he ordered his second officer, a guy called V. Custer, to get into a gig with a number of sailors and try and kill it with a boat hook. This was thing was 50 feet long. You're not going to kill uh, it. With a boat.
0: I would have just sort of uh, sailed it, right that, past, but yeah.
1: And this thing reared up, bit the boat hook in two before diving off and vanishing. But all, and around about this time, there were all these sightings uh, off Vietnam on a place called Along Bay, which, is, uh, which means Dragon Bay, funnily enough. These... Sure were cited not just by sailors but they were said by captains and um, admirals as well. Um, and one of the most famous uh, was by uh, Lieutenant Lagesel, who said that in um, July of 1897 he was on a, the, a boat called the Avalanche. He saw two of these creatures, uh, and he said that they were about 65 feet long, and they had this fin or crest. Um, running down their back and they moved through an undulating movement through the water and um, they fired the, the ship's gun at, at 600 yards but it seemed to have no effect on them whatsoever now this was the start of a whole slew of these sightings along bay and um, when the captains reported this back to the admirals and so, so, so forth they were all poo-pooed but um, in at least one case, there was the, uh, an admiral had come aboard the ship thinking that this was absolute nonsense and, and, um, and seen these creatures themselves. And uh, often they'd give chase to them in the boat and try and shoot them with the boat's guns, but they seemed to have absolutely no uh, effect whatsoever.
0: So there was multiple sightings. It wasn't yeah, just and they.
1: The one uh, this is what one of the guys said. One of the admiral, um, he said that uh, he said that they they would snort a sort of vapor from their nostrils as they moved. And he said, undoubtedly, these animals, known and feared by the animites, must have proved provided the idea of the dragon, which modified and amplified by legend. As being, if I may so term it, herald it into the national emblem. In other words, he was saying that these creatures that he'd seen and others like he'd seen now on bay were um, the basis for the Chinese dragon.
0: As yes, they would be. I'm starting to think of something towards the, um, you know, the snakehead fish or something like that. Obviously, the the. You know, fifty-foot lengths and stuff like that is, um, is you know, swaying me more towards something a bit more paranormal, for lack of a better term. But um, would that be hey, your best guess? Some sort of guess, marine reptile like
1: from the sound of it, some kind of reptile rather well, yeah. than fish. This guy was called um, Admiral De La. Be- I'm going to massacre this. It's a it's a French name, Admiral De La lore. <laughs> Sorry for any French listeners.
0: <laughs> It'll do.
1: But if you type in Along Bay Sea Serpent, you'll get the whole story into a uh, search engine.
0: Excellent. That's, yeah, that's not one I've um, actually heard about, but obviously I haven't done things as in-depth as you on, uh, well, on any of it, But really. apparently the shells
1: <laughs> so, that were shot at them from these, um, these gunboats did no damage whatsoever to them. These- so it must have been uh, pretty well armored
0: in scales. They used to love shooting at things, didn't yeah. they? Sort of shoot first and then get recover a body, and then which isn't, um, you know, the ultimate. It's not something we'd really encourage today in terms of the no, scientific method, it, is it? That's right. Um, oh, that's really interesting. Um, I didn't realise the sort of the folklore, well, not even folklore, but obviously anecdotal evidence was, um, you know, so oh, entrenched the, the tip of the um, as to the absolute
1: tip of the iceberg. <laughs> have
0: have you, um, you know, in your paranormal travels throughout uh, the UK, in particular, and particularly where you live, it's you yeah. live down Devon, the West Country, don't you? It's um, is the dragon legend alive and well there, or is it more? I, I know, sort of in Yorkshire and um, and Wales and stuff like that. It's it's
1: yeah, more the
0: isn't it? But Daniel, yeah, part of the world,
1: there are uh, um, Somerset, which is the next county along, uh, have more dragon legends yeah. than any other county in in Britain. There are many, many dragon is legends. Right? And okay. There's there's, uh, there's even a, a church in a place called Loham that has a great long spear that was supposed to have been used to slay a dragon. When it opened its mouth to swallow the night, he was supposed to push this great long spear between its jaws and, and slain it and it still hangs in this church.
0: And that's in Gloucester oh, somewhere, yeah. is it Oh, Somerset, it's a, sorry.
1: It's the it's the the chicken and the egg which came first, the spear or the story. Well well the weirdest it's, um I've sorry, heard, in recent times was from a guy called Mike Halliwell. Mike was a 14 investigator and writer. He's retired due to ill health now. And he wrote a very, very good book on it. It's, in fact, the only study done on um, children's imaginary friends. And he, he found that that in all cultures, they've got really weird um, links between, you know, from... People from all sorts of cultures when they, they were kids they had the same kind of imaginary friends and no one had ever done a, a uh a um study like this called it's called Invisi kids weird title but it, it, it's long out of print and it goes for a bomb now but it's a great fascinating read and mike wrote on all sorts of subjects and he used to lecture as well before he got poorly but um he was very interested in this um local story uh uh, around an area called south shields which is just south of of newcastle in the northeast of england a place called marsden bay Uh, in marsden bay there's a pub actually built into the cliff base it's called marsden Grotto, and you have to take a lift down to get to this pub and it was (coughs) yeah
0: sounds (coughs) perfect
1: And it was um, originally um, built by a guy in the eighteenth century called Blaster Jack, who was a, uh, a quarryman who, after he got tired, you know, yep. lit a really great hole in the side of this cliff, and he started some tea rooms, and they were, were successful. And after he died, it became a pub. But the area, the area um, of, of Marsden Bay, has Sightings of a sea dragon in it that they call the Shoni. Um, Shoni.
0: And Shoni. The
1: story goes that it all started with the Vikings when the, the area was under the Danelaw, and they went in fear of this creature called the Shoni that would attack their longships. So that they, they would draw straws and make a sacrifice. So the person with a short straw would be crushed up, the throat slit, thrown overboard, so the creature would eat the corpse rather than attacking the boat. And after a while it became a sort of veneration yeah. of this creature and bodies would wash up in not just in mars and grotto but as far north as lindisfarne holy isle um several miles further up and the bodies would wash up trussed up with their throat slit sometimes half eaten and uh, mike looked into this and he found out that the last recorded body to have washed up was in 1928 so if that account is real if that's true there was a dragon worship court making human sacrifices in 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 the north of england in well into the 20th century now he got there's always, there's always someone yeah. up to something. Yeah, to he he was the, told, he got groups, a, a threatening yes. phone call telling him to drop the whole thing, not to look into it anymore, if he knew what was good to him. Good for it. Fairly. He also <laughs> claims to have seen the creature himself. He said him and his wife and his sons were driving along the cliff top one day, a road by the cliff, and they saw a bunch of cars that had stopped and they wondered what they were looking at and they stopped, looked out to see, and saw that the back of this huge animal caught out of the water and he said it wasn't a whale because it didn't spout like a whale and it seemed to have this great long neck and tail coming off it under the water but in mars and grotto itself there's uh, a pillar from the old lumpton castle which was torn down uh 200 over 200 years ago now and it has a crop we're heading into, sorry, yeah, we're heading into it's Worm. Got a it's a great tale <clears throat> because in, in Britain you get a number of different types of dragon. You've got the true dragon, which has the four legs, two wings, breathes fire, hoards treasure, you know, virtually indestructible. Then you've got the smaller wyvern, which only has the two legs, has a venomous sting on its tail, and it's thought to spread disease. You've got the worm which is like a massive snake, like a huge venomous, if you imagine outsized anaconda, but with venomous breath. And they're supposed to, if you chop them into pieces, all the pieces would join back together again. And worm legends are found all across Britain, but particularly in the North.
0: Sure. I mean, that's, I used to love, as I said, I used to love that uh, whole Lambton worm situation. I think it was just the creepiness of it being able to sort of regenerate again. Um, And there was sort of nothing the villagers could do because it was, you know, chop it up and I'll just, you know, reform and and wreak more havoc. So terrifying stuff. Why do you think it's more prevalent to Somerset?
1: I I think a lot of it is chance because you find a lot of built-up areas, areas where there are a lot of cities. You don't get the folklore like you do in more rural areas. So you, you don't really get dragon legends from the industrial midlands doesn't mean to say that there were were never any (laughs) stories there, but they might have just been forgotten because they were not retold enough.
0: I'm just, you know, obviously the genesis of any legend, there's usually a grain of truth or some sort of misidentification. Um, Dragons um, is one thing I can't really pinpoint because, as I said, um, you know, are we looking at something sort of prehistoric and, and avian from prehistoric times? Is that what people have seen? And obviously, the story's moved along and perhaps embellished a little bit to the extent, uh, well, of, of what we have today. But people, you know, must have seen something at some point to, you know, for the, this sort of thing to propagate,
1: right? Well, so what's your best guess? it's lots of different things. things. Um, there's, there's, there's one legend from Essex of a a small dragon and it was in a, it was in a pamphlet that was distributed at the time it was around about the time of shakespeare's death if i remember and they said that this terrible serpent which was about nine feet long had emerged from the this forest and it had taken up residence in a rabbit warren it was eating the rabbits and they said it would kill men and dogs who came near it by casting forth venom and whenever it was disturbed by people or cattle, it would rear up and look about it in a most arrogant manner. It sounds exactly like a cobra rearing up and spreading its hood when it looks around. Uh, mm. One of the things I'm interested in is the history of zoos and um, animal collections. Uh, and uh, you'd be surprised at how in times past, all sorts of exotic animals were on display in, in, in Britain. In, for instance, in uh, the Tower of London, they had all sorts of things. Lions, tigers, bears, crocodiles, all sorts of things. And there, there is another British uh, uh, dragon legend from um, Sussex, of a, a, a swamp-dwelling dragon that is described as having great jaws with terrible teeth and armoured skin and a long tail on four legs with claws and when um, arrows were shot at it, they would bounce back off its hide and it terrorised the area and then winter came and it disappeared. It sounds like a crocodile a crocodile that would have possibly been brought back by
0: Yeah, right, the, uh, the descriptions of the armour and when they talk about it being leathery and things like that, I mean that's the first thing I go towards is, is you know, crocodile That again, accounts
1: for like some that. of them some of them Others, others are not.
0: But, but alligators um, don't fly is, is the main it's sort it's of fire. spanner of
1: there's the works here. There's a great uh, a book called <laughs> The Flight of Dragons, written in 1979 by a guy called Peter Dickinson. And um, Dickinson had this theory, and he theorised that dragons evolved from flesh-eating dinosaurs. And they flew, not by the muscular power of the wings, but by containing hydrogen gas in the gut. He said the wings were actually an extended rib cage covered with skin like fins. they were used for um, okay. steering and, and direction but the lift was from this great guts that the creature had but it filled with um hydrogen gas from a hydrochloric acid in the stomach and uh, calcium from uh, the bones of its victims, and from ingesting limestone. And his idea was that the fiery breath, which was caused, caused by a um, chemical catalyst, it was burning off the the um, gas in its gut. So the fiery breath was a way of controlling flight. Right, you know, it would fill its gut with gas and fly. And if it wanted to swoop down.
0: So they, they, they created the elevation was the its diet fueling yeah. the gut that became gassy in it.
1: That was that was rose so doubled so up as a, as a weapon. That was a, it's an interesting theory. And then you've got the theory that these things are possibly interdimensional. Um, theoretical physicists have postulated up to eighteen different dimensions, and it could be that not just dragons, but all kinds of strange creatures are inhabitants of this. Uh, these one of these other dimensions now um
0: so they're just they're just wormhole hopping uh, I've always said that, okay. that, that bit of yeah. a theory with that with that, uh, um,
1: foot. in, in Islam, they believe in these creatures called jinn which they say are are spirits of fire sure. made from smokeless fire, and they can take on a number of forms so they can a number of forms some of them are dragons and great serpents, other of them others look like huge hairy apes. Others look like immense black dogs with red eyes. Others look like big black cats. Others look like huge birds. Now, I've been told this time and again by Muslims. And that fits in exactly with a theory I had years ago called the global monster template. Now, if you look into um, legends worldwide, you'll see the same monsters again and again and again in all sorts of cultures. And the dragon is the oldest. There's a, a guy called Michael Wetzel, yeah. who's a folklorist, an uh, American folklorist, who wrote a book called The History of World Mythology, and he's tra- traced dragon legends back at least 40,000 years. But in every culture, you'll get dragons. Every single culture on Earth has dragon legends.
0: And particularly at a, at a time when the world was disconnected,
1: to have these similarities is interesting. Harry ate like giants. They have stories of monstrous dogs. They have stories of monstrous cats and monstrous birds. And they also have stories of little people as well, little tiny people. Now I thought
0: Yeah. Which we kind of we'd covered off a little bit last time with the um when we yeah. were talking about the the Flores man and the orang yeah now,
1: I, I remember oh. I was in Thailand looking for the Naga when I I came up with this idea. Is that maybe we have these monsters in all these cultures because they're part of a race memory of creatures that would have been preying on us or in competition with us back on the plains of east africa a couple of million years ago when our astropithecine ancestors. there's
0: as, as some sort of intrinsic what, sort of what what
1: our says. ancestors came down from the trees you see to exploit new food sources like carrion on the plains they would have been preyed on by crocodiles and big pythons. uh we know they were taken down by birds of prey like the yep. martial eagle because we found astrolopithecine stalls with the talons marks in, in them um uh, leopards and lions would have taken them down african hunting dogs and they would have been in competition with other primates there was not just one kind of astrolopithecine there were several different kinds um and also, there were gigantic baboons, much bigger than the ones we get today, which would have been in, in competition with them. And it's as if that all of these monsters are things that haunt our collective Gestalt race memory, if you will. Um, I had the idea that maybe under certain conditions, we can subconsciously create a, a tulpa or thought form that is something that is physically real for a short amount of time that people can see, other people can see it. Um, Tulpa is a Tibetan term and Tibetan... Tulpa... How how do you spell that, T-U-P-A-L-A Tulpa. Tulpa. Tulpa, okay. (laughs) uh, Tibetan llamas are supposed to be able to create them with the power of their mind. And there was a woman called Dame Alexandra David Neal who claimed to have create created a temple of a monk uh, by extreme concentration over a period of several years. Just before the First World War, there was a Polish medium that came over to Britain. His name was Franek Kluski, and his shtick, as it was, were supposedly to manifest animals at seances. And he would manifest a huge bird that looked a bit like a nightjar. Oh. And there's a photograph of this thing sitting on someone's head, and it looks like a massive night, owl. yeah. He, I think I've to, seen that,
0: yeah. Um,
1: brought forth huge black dogs, a monstrous lion like cat that licked the sitter's hands, and they said it had a rough tongue, and uh, this shambling ape like creature, um, similar to a Homo erectus. And it's almost as if he. Was dipping into the subconscious, our subconscious.
0: What almost sounds Uh, like uh, the uh, laundry uh, list of 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 cryptids, doesn't
1: it? So maybe there's some kind of condition or some set of conditions where we can subconsciously create these things with our own minds. Or maybe they are totally independent of us and they're just slithering through from another dimension.
0: That's actually fascinating.
1: Outlandish stories of people seeing fire breathing dragons flying around. In the modern day, now if they were there all the time, people, more people would see them. They'd get them on their on their, their phone cameras. Uh, they'd be swooping down and gobbling people up. They'd be, you know, ripping fighter planes out of the sky like bits of paper. We'd know about it if they were there. I'm thinking yeah, Godzilla exactly,
0: and that sort of thing. If right? they
1: were there all of the time, so maybe it's part of a yeah. natural process that they can only slip through into our reality for very short amounts of time. Maybe that's a good thing.
0: <coughs> dimensional yeah. what a dimensional travel.
1: Maybe it's not a, a, a deliberate thing. Maybe it's just a, something that happens. No. One theory is... is it...
0: Or may, maybe only some people yeah. have the ability to to access...
1: Um, no, that's not to say That realm. there aren't things you know, in our world that have been interpreted as dragons. I mean, over in Australia they had a giant monolith in the Pleistocene called Baroness Prisca. It used to be called Megalania, which was a much better name. It meant giant butcher. Only known from fragmentary remains, but um, it could have been as long as 30 feet as the size of a big crocodile almost certainly venomous like the Komodo it's, it's nearly as and this thing was hanging out in Australia you know, eating giant wombats and giant kangaroos and giant flightless ducks and early Aborigines and the Aborigines have a, a creature in their folklore called Mungungali the bunyip which is supposed to be this great lizard that come out of a cave and terrorised people and there are accounts of People meeting with lizards far bigger than a Komodo dragon in Australia. Uh, One of the most famous was supposed to have happened in the Wattigan Mountains of New South Wales. And it was a guy called Frank Gordon, who's a herpetologist, and he'd gone up into the mountains to look for skinks, little lizards called skinks. Didn't find any. Come back to his Land Rover and noticed what he thought was a dead tree uh, on a bank next to his Land Rover. And he said, I can't remember seeing that before. I thought nothing of it. Got into his Land Rover, started the engine, and he said the uh, the dead tree reared up on four legs, and it was this gigantic lizard that was about thirty feet long. So it ran oh jeez! Into the bush. And there was another account from I think 1960 when some loggers, four loggers, saw one of these and they chased them. and They had to lock themselves in the in their lorry while it prowled around outside. Now, a lot of these sightings have been <laughs> a guy called Rex Gilroy, <laughs> who hasn't got the most stellar uh, reputation, shall we say. But there are other stories okay, that are yeah. not traceable to him. Now, there's a guy called Gary O'Pitt, uh, a very well-respected Australian cryptozoologist, and He gave an account from... Uh, a friend of his called Peter, is sadly now dead, but he was he was trekking in the bush one day and he heard something behind him. This forest area, there was something that was coming along the trail, following him. So he uh, he moved off to one side and hid. And he was expecting to see a person, but what he saw, he said, it was this huge lizard that was three feet off the ground, holding its head three feet off the ground, and and was about thirty feet long, and it moved. Passed where he was hiding and disappeared into the bush. Uh, over in New Guinea, there are so, so stories in, in New Guinea. Okay. Uh, um, once again, about 1960, there were stories coming out, out of New Guinea about dragons coming out of the, the jungle and they spat fire and tore people apart with their teeth and claws <clears throat> and they stood upon their hind legs. Well, now, uh, there was a team sent over from Australia to look into this and they didn't see these. Dragons, but what they found were lots of dead natives with great slash marks on them and lots of villages surrounded by recently made stockades and the the new guinea tribes people were saying these huge creatures come out of the the forest and kill them and that's why they're making the stockades now the flaming breath could have been the flickering of the red tongue coming in out of the mouth of a huge mitre lizard and we know that monotolisms can rise up on their hind legs. And I think a lot of the so-called um, dinosaur sightings, when people think they've, they've seen something like a tyrannosaurus, might have been actually a giant monitor lizard brewing upon its hind legs. A few years ago, there's a story from New Britain, which is an, uh, an island off the coast of New Guinea, of a, uh, quote, dinosaur coming out of the, yep. the jungle and killing several dogs, and some soldiers were sent to... To look for it but couldn't find it but the people that saw it said it was this huge thing 30 feet long gray green scaly flesh eating and it was rear upon its hind legs sounds like a, a great big monitor imagine a komodo dragon but so much larger <laughs> yeah, uh, <pardon>. um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't want to imagine that hey Hey, Richard, we've come to the end of our hour. I mean, uh, speaking with you, obviously, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. Um, let's do that next well, time. Where can people on, find your, uh, your You'll books. find them.
1: Uh, my latest one is called Adventures in Cryptozoology. It's the yep. first part of a two-part series, and uh, it looks at things like dragons, monstrous apes, and ape-men, and other strange creatures. And in part two, which is you out um, in the autumn we're looking at things like the Tasmanian wolf and um, giant crocodiles and giant snakes and uh, accounts of my own adventures because I've been all over the world looking for things like the Tasmanian wolf and the Mongolian death worm and the giant anaconda and in the second volume I'll be looking at my own uh, accounts as well as, as, as general accounts but volume one is out at the minute Adventures in Cryptozoology type it into amazon and you'll get it. Thanks yeah, it excellent
0: thanks for coming on again richard um and that was occam's razor episode yeah no problem occam's razor episode uh 41.